Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and again we will be switching things up a bit. Um I know for the last few weeks we've been talking about doom and gloom, IMF, what's going to happen with the economy, but I think it's also important to look at other segments of society and and other things that are happening in Pakistan, exciting things that are happening in Pakistan um that have a long-term impact not only in terms of growth but inclusion particularly inclusion around women and marginalized communities um so today we're going to be talking to Haris Mahmood uh, who currently serves as the CEO of Universal Service Fund Pakistan he has over 20 years of global experience both on the public and private sector side focusing on telecoms and and the and the financial services sector and really this is an exciting conversation for me because as you've been listening to this podcast we talk to startups and we talk to digital first uh, fintechs and we talk to other people who intersect and interact with technology and you've heard me say this before that the technology sector is the best avenue for bottom up disruption for pakistan's economy but none of that happens without effective communications and technology infrastructure in the country so haris is at the forefront of of making that possible down to the tehsil down to the union council level so we're going to be talking about that and and what the universal service fund is and what it does so haris thank you so much for taking out the time and and welcome to pakistanomy thank you so much for having me over so i want to start with you know you giving us a 30000 foot level view of what the usf is what do you and your organization do uh and and what really is the mission and the vision of this organization in terms of technology and telecommunications infrastructure and really making internet for all a reality in pakistan okay um universal service fund is a public sector company uh, under ministry of it and telecom and under statutory requirement it's been made as section 42 which is a not for profit uh company and the main objective of the company is to bridge the digital divide uh as all of us know that you know technology has taken everyone by the storm and the telecom sector has a phenomenal growth uh in the last uh, couple of decades uh but we have always seen there are still people who are left unconnected and the major reason is that because the commercially it's not viable to connect everyone so for that they have matlab itu has uh, advised all the countries to establish a fund uh under different authorities of ministry and in our case in Pakistan it's ministry of it and telecom so what we do is that we support uh all the telco uh companies who are operating in Pakistan to provide connectivity to rural remote and marginalized communities because they will not go on their own uh as a financial or business case is not going to be viable for them to operate in that region and obviously we want to connect everyone in Pakistan with uh, with high speed internet that's the main objective of this fund and so tell us a bit more about like what the fund does at that level right because i was reading up on it there are smart villages there are partnerships with private sector entities for tele- remote learning and education and access to telehealth and things like that what are the main programs that you are running and and what's really been the impact of that both in terms of the private side of the partnerships but then also getting fiber and and a fiber optic connectivity down to the grassroots level okay uh, i'll start off with fiber uh, because it's very close to my heart and we feel that in pakistan uh, you know we don't have enough fiber to support the ecosystem in terms of uh, high speed mobile broadband or even you know uh, fixed broadband which we call is a meaningful connectivity uh, i'll just give you an example so you can relate to it that in pakistan 
uh, roughly 10% of towers are connected to the fiber. The rest of all are connected to the microwave. And uh, you know, if you take an example of China, it's the opposite. 90% of the towers are connected to the fiber. In Malaysia, Indonesia, Bangladesh, uh, India, all of them ranges from 40 to 60 and 65%. So we are far, far behind it. So, so when I took for SEO and you know we were we were in, in a growth phase in terms of uh, rolling out and deployment uh, high speed mobile internet towers, we thought okay, we are focusing on microwaves, not focusing on fiber. So we ran a program in which we identified the whole Pakistan and figured out that how many union councils are in Pakistan. For example, we we, we wanted to take it to the lowest level in terms of you know of the administrative part. Uh, so in Pakistan, there are roughly approximately over six thousand union councils, and we figured out that. Uh, roughly 1,800 union councils which have fiber connectivity, or they have a node from which they can connect the, uh, you know, the rest of the uh, area. So all these 1,800 union councils are those union councils which are part of the metropolitan city, big metro like Karachi, Lahore, Islamabad, Pitrawala, Salkot, Faisalabad, you know, so which way they do have basic connectivity. So, but what we wanted to do was that take it to the union councils of, of southern Balochistan or India and southern Punjab and you know, north. So we we so we made a program so that we're going to connect every union council in Pakistan to fiber, obviously which requires over four thousand plus union council and requires over uh, approximately between forty five thousand kilometer fiber. So we made a program for a five year plan and we launched it a year and a half ago. So we have launched approximately a program of over ten thousand kilometer fiber, out of which four thousand kilometer fiber has been made on the ground. Covering approximately uh, 800 union councils, and the rest will be covered in the next six to 12 months. And then, you know, we continue to do that in the next three and a half, four years. We try to complete that every union council will have a fiber mode. And why do we want to do that? Not just only connecting the towers, but also connecting the education suite, hospitals, government offices, and all other uh, private sector offices. So, so they can start working to, you know, from home, or maybe can they can have an access to connectivity which they don't have to come to the metropolitan city. And gives them convenience that will also build an ecosystem which is going to promote marketplaces like e-commerce and other and other you know e-suite. Uh, like for example, uh, we have in every uh, tehsil we've got THQ tehsil headquarters hospitals and then you know basic health hospitals. And we have witnessed and the data supports that a lot of people rush to hospitals, these small hospitals or big hospitals, even for small consultation, which can be done easily over the telephone or a video call or even just by making a call. And data say that 70% of the consultation can be can be catered through the video call. And you know, we don't have enough hospitals across Pakistan. We have got a lot of dense population, especially in certain metropolitan and also some rural areas of Pakistan that cannot support one Tessi headquarter hospital or basic health. So we have to give innovative solutions, which is telehealth is one of them. So, so to, to basically enable the telehealth, so we have to provide that infrastructure. That is when you and I talk about fiber and other microwave. That's going to help that business to grow and also going to give experience to people so they can get connected uh, through telephone or a video call and they can get the consultation. In. And the rest 30% which needs critical uh, in terms of attention from the doctors or the specialists so they can focus on that. Or saving their lives or saving them from any you know disability which can actually get them into trouble. Uh, secondly, we're all aware that we've got you know millions of uh, uh, students or children out of school, and we don't have enough schools or teachers to you know cater them. So we have to come up again with innovative solutions like we can start with 
education, maybe one school and can bring all those children together and can connect them to the you know, good primary or second school that they can actually start giving exposure to what school is, you know, in terms of math, in terms of science, in terms of, you know, basic things. So they get interest and we can see that, you know, people who are interested can actually start coming to schools and then can learn. So that's also one another uh, example that's going to help and it's enabling people over there. And especially the COVID that has pushed us and also made us realize that even if we have a good internet connection, this e-education and e-health of telehealth, what we call, can actually be, can you work, work well on this. And then also, you know, when we talk about e-commerce, uh, you know, people in, in COVID, people have started using a lot of marketplaces, you know, getting delivery at home. And that also promotes small businesses, especially in the rural and remote area, because metropolitan cities cannot have all kinds of businesses that cannot have catered to all kinds of people. Uh, you know, because we've got a big population together. So we have to find this and that can only be done if we've got a resilient and a very vibrant infrastructure that can support that. So that's what we are focusing on fiber to get that. And along with that, it's also important that we also promote, you know, financial inclusion. That can also be done we have if we have the infrastructure because our formal economy so is three hundred before... Yeah. Before you go towards financial inclusion, which is what I want to talk to you about as well, um, just in terms of you mentioned 6,000 union councils, getting into the grassroots is the priority. What do the economics of rolling out fiber in Pakistan look like, right? Because one of the things that a lot, a lot of people raise, like this is not related to fiber, but I'll give you an example, is road connectivity. And when you talk to people mm -hmm. about road connectivity, they're like, yeah, what Right. And I have to explain to them that without farm to market roads, for example, um, a lot of Pakistanis that listen in are from Houston or have been to Houston, um, both within and outside Pakistan. And I always remind them that if you look at the roads outside of Houston, they're called FM 1200 or whatever. Right. FM stands for farm to market. So without farm to market connectivity with those basic roads, you don't have <coughs> commerce, you don't have inclusion. You don't have higher incomes and, and the internet is the same. If you don't have fiber optics, all the things you described are not possible, right? So just give us a sense of like, what does it cost to, to achieve that vision and what the broad ROI would look like in terms of the inclusion and economic growth that that then funnels into the very grassroots levels of Pakistani society? Okay. Um, you know, in the rural and remote areas, there's no business case. So there's no commercial case at this point of time because we call this as a digital highway. So, so we have to bring uh, people or businesses into it to make it viable. But for initially, we have to do a lot of investment. It's not only capital uh, intensive, but it's also labor intensive. Work. And there are a lot of challenges in terms of uh, deploying fiber because of the right of your issues, which the government has very seriously taken in and made a very comprehensive right of your policy to facilitate that. So if you talk about the specific ROI, that's where universal service come, fund comes and support those operators and give them subsidy to make it viable so they can provide that access to, to that. And, uh, you know, as you rightly said that, you know, to give an example of uh, Houston that, you know, you have to bring it farm to the market, to the hybrid. And that's exactly what, what we mean here by providing community either through fiber or micro. I give you, you know, a couple, I've got so many examples in terms of rural communities, communities, you know, which we come across I give you a very simple example in in, in one of the goats. Goats is a small village uh, uh, called in um, Sin, interior Sin, which is like 150 kilometers from Sakha. When you provide connectivity over there, so this girl was innovative and she was smart. She made her Instagram account, 
And she started going to Sakhar and all a little bit of big cities like Hyderabad and got some clothes, you know, from the local designers and started selling through her own Instagram account to the to the villages across, you know, that village or in a village which is on nearby. And you know, she started making some, you know, economic impact in her in her and her family life as well. And that also give and that also translates into social impact in that neighborhood. And then later on, we figured out that she worked out so well that she started training other girls to do that. So some people started doing making food, like home chefs and everything, using that account. And you know, that brought a very good social impact and economic impact in that neighborhood. Then we later on realized that she also contributed to the household income by sending a younger brother to sucker for, for vocational college. Other she would not have that kind of income, she would have not been able to do that. And she actually eliminated the middleman. You know, who's going to bring the clothes and, you know, going to charge differently to the consumer and buy differently at different price. Then another very good example that I want to share is about Chitral, you know, which is a very high literacy rate, one of the highest literacy rate districts in Pakistan. And they're very well known uh, for handicrafts. So, you know, when they used to make handicrafts, people would come from, you know, different parts of the world and would pay them very minimal amount for their for their service or their labor and sell it for very cheap. So middlemen would actually make them best out of it. And they would never get actual the real labor or the wage to that person who's actually making it. Uh, so, so when we provided connectivity to Chitral and we had we made a program, we made a program with Facebook called She Means Business, in which we train uh, the entrepreneurs how to they can marketplace their products to Facebook. And she started doing it. And she was actually getting the real uh, the amount of what she actually deserved. And how she's getting money is that through financial inclusion because of the mobile wallets, which has been done by Easy Pass and Jazzcast. Because the connectivity gave them that edge that they not only they can market the place, but they can actually, actually get the money which they actually deserve. They get the order from either Peshawar or Islam or somewhere else. So that's why they play a very critical role. And until else, we don't build that a digital highway, which we call, and which I very, you know, very strong advocate about it, is that we will not be able to get the financial inclusion, or also in terms of the women empowerment, because that's what they get, actually get the support and something which they can do things from their homes, from their, uh, you know, social class. If we don't let them do things, and connectivity gives them that kind of a leverage that they can do it by sitting home and can impact. Uh, socially and economic, not to themselves, also to the family and the neighborhood. So following up on that, right, I mean, you get access to tele telehealth, online education, commerce, and, and that's really transformative. Um, one of the markets I really look at, right, across the border is India in terms of their digital acceleration and the digitization that's happened. I was recently there and you would see like Panwala's accepting QR codes, right? But none of that yeah, happens yeah. without that infrastructure that, that we're yeah. talking about here. But an interesting thing that happened over there also was that you had companies like Flipkart that were, you know, really began as a mobile phone online shop, basically, right? They were they were giving uh, cell phones to the entire country online. Um, but then Geo Reliance stepped in and really transformed the 4G landscape um, over there. Where does the private sector, in your view, in Pakistan come in, in terms of really transforming the country's digital journey the way the Indian uh, companies have? And what are some barriers that you see across that ecosystem that perhaps if they were tackled bit by bit, accelerate this whole transformation that you're talking about in Sindh, in Chitral and other parts of Pakistan? 
how do we make that exponential and take it to the next level? Like what needs to happen in, in this ecosystem? You know, you touched a very important point, which, to be honest, which is very close to my head. And sometimes I feel like, you know, that there's not a single big, large telco operating partner which is owned by any Pakistani. All of them are international operators. That's where it makes it, you know, make a big difference when it compares with India and Pakistan. I wish if we had one of the big uh, business conglomerate or base empire, you know, owning one of the telcos, things would have been different. Because obviously, when you have the interest, which is which is the local interest of an entrepreneur living in Pakistan, working for Pakistan, would would, would have a different impact. At this point of time, all the four operators have an international shareholding and their their more interest was is obviously returned on equity, shareholder values and everything. And that's where they cannot have that kind of influence on the government in terms of policies as well, which can be more beneficial for them. Because whenever the management comes, the management comes for a certain period of time and they have a they have a certain stake, not as the shareholder stake, as someone who can actually own it. And that's where actually India has transformed it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, in Pakistan, it's a deregulated sector and it's run by the private sector. And we missed the boat initially because 3G option took place in India in, in mid-2000s. Uh, and in our, it happened in you know 2014. So, which, so we missed it almost seven, which, eight years. If I may interrupt you again, it's, that part is especially close to my heart, that whole saga, because I had graduated undergrad in 2010. Um, and at that point in time, I was looking, you know, I was in Boston studying and I'd come to Pakistan and had sort of followed through my friends in India and other parts of the world through undergrad, what was going on in terms of digital technologies. And we had thought, you know, we'll start like a direct-to-consumer startup um, and, and expecting the 3G rollout to really be as fast as what was going on yeah. across the border, but it never happened. So in six months' time, we were just like, look, the, the uptake is really not the same. Um, and that really, again, to connect to your point, not only set back the digitization journey, but really the startup ecosystem journey that we talk about yeah. now could have been starting started 10 years ago um, if absolutely. that rollout had happened in, in that same way. Yeah, so so absolutely, I totally agree. And that's why we, we, so we missed, a, you know, like seven, eight years and we have to catch up on that. Uh, but to be honest, in the last four, five years, there's been a phenomenal growth of the telecom side in terms of the number of subscribers, number of things have been happening in, in you know, and COVID has actually pushed it. I'll just give you a simple example of, you know, Universal Service Park. From 2006 to 19, we did maybe 60 projects over 60 billion. And from 2019 to date, we have done over 60 projects over what 80 billion rupees. You know, that's the growth has come in from, from, from the Universal Service Park perspective. And that's also happened in the telecom sector as well. Because initially, you know, the focus was just only on the metropolitan and, and the demands were never looked at. And that's why we also did a few projects like Smart Village and ICT for Girls to showcase that how the broadband connectivity can actually make your life very convenient, can support the e-suite business, and you can, can do a lot of transparency convenience and things can be done by doing by sitting at home. So our recent project, which, which is our, uh, I would say, a pilot project done in Gukina, which is 25 kilometers from Islamabad, the village, where access is not easy. You can't just go in, in a car and do it. So we wanted to have an e-health and an e-education and, and a whole of a government approach. So then what I did is that I also requested Nadra, our chairman, to come and part of us. They can provide the local service over, over there as well. So they don't have to come all the way to Starbucks for, for birth certificate, for you know, small little things or for, even for registration. 
And then important thing which which I felt that was missing was that we need to have a gender expert. So can actually analyze what's happening in that village and how the gender can be streamlined in the, in the nation. And to surprise, uh, once we launched it, within four weeks, our telehealth has 70% of patients which were women and girls. And they, they, they said that, you know, if they would have not had that telehealth, they might have not addressed those issues. And even in e-education, we felt that after grade seven, there's no science subjects being taught at that school. So through our e-education uh, platform, which is Telitalimar Partner, they started introducing STEM, which is like, you know, start teaching science, uh, math. And you know, in three weeks, we have registered over 100 students in small village. You know how impactful it is. And now I don't want to stop it here. So what I'm trying to do is that I'm going to bring Daraz, I'm to bring Jazz and Food Financial. So that's how we get see this option of marketplace and entrepreneurship in that building, like home chefs. So Daraz or you know can train them in case of any marketplace. And food Panda can use home chefs for, for, the, for the neighborhood only, so they can have an economic prospect in the house with the you know Pakistan culture. Women and girls make very good food and they can actually start selling it. So that's what we intend to do there. So we have to bring the ecosystem together in which the whole value chain is being included. And again, since that's digitized, we get away from yeah. the whole documentation side of the stick Absolutely. approach as well, which again is something I frequently talk about is that, you know, the stick has clearly not worked in terms of documentation of economic flows in Pakistan. The informal economy is large. But digital payments, digital infrastructure automatically documents everything and it, it's frictionless. So it's it's right there, right? If you're doing Home Chefs through Food Panda, you can get at the PIN code level um, yes. the flows of the economic transactions that are occurring and get a sense of what the actual economic uh, value uh, being created in a, in, a, in a union council, in a village or whatever is. Yes. And, and I think that's, again, an important thing to think about. Um, one thing that... I wanted to get a sense from you was, you know, you do this pilot in the village, um, you do something in Jitral, you do something in, in Sin, um, you're filling an institutional void and through the pilot sort of doing the proof of concept, right? That this works, this has yeah. impact. Um, how does that, th that impact as measured in terms of its success <laughs> then translate into, let's say, national level policy or national level shifts um, that then catalyze things at scale, right? Because again, one of the things that I often uh, think about and would love your thoughts on this is, as well is that going from proof of concept to scale is really where the magic happens. And was curious to, to hear about how do you then translate something as successful as this program outside the village in Islamabad um, to a policy framework that enables that type of e-services and, and digital you know, revolution across the country? How do we get there? Okay. You know, as far as the impact is concerned, because, when, you know, we have different analysis being, you know, conducted and, you know, different partners who are doing it. And impact is amazing. But I'm not more worried about the impact because it, it will have an impact. More, more thing which, which is more uh, interest of, you know, something which I need to pay attention is sustainability. Because that is something which is more important for me that it becomes sustainable. It doesn't, you know, fall flat after a few months or a few weeks. For that, what we have done is that we have engaged the local champions over there. So we have made local champions to or kind of a local owners over there. So we're going to take the ownership of this program by themselves. So community has to be engaged from day one. You know, before we launched, we, we created an awareness what we want to do. We had some resistance, we had some challenges, but we you know once we told them okay, what will it have an impact, how it's going to help you, it's going to benefit you, your children. 
you know, we got their buying them. That is something more important. And that's what we're going to do in, in our, you know, two, three more pilot projects we're going to do in the next couple of months. And then from there, we're going to, we're going to have an impact and put in a paper, which, which, uh, which is going to be translated into, into a policy where it can be done at a national level. It can be done in, you know, hundreds of them. Uh, but again, I said the most important for me is systematically. So for, for me, because, you know, even if I don't do any impact assessment or study, because I know people are using telephone, they're getting benefit out of it. People are using the education. They're going to, anyways, going to get benefit. And another thing which is important, which I want to do is the digital literacy training over there. So actually, I can train people, you know, how digital literate you can be and how can you take benefit out of that. There's one angle which is missing, which I'm working out is on, on the affordability of smartphones. Unfortunately, in Pakistan, they, they are slightly expensive because of, of a foreign currency conversion and some taxes. And we have not been able to manufacture smartphones uh, for a very long time. We started it, but still it's, it's, it's you know, it's assembling, not actually manufacturing, still have an impact of uh, foreign currency. So that's what we're working with, with, with small microfinance banking. See if we can lend to the local entrepreneurs and see that can actually help them in getting a smart because this is this in the whole value chain, this is something is missing, which I'm working on it. So, so I will have three, four, uh, uh, you know, or maybe five uh, pilots across parks and different regions. And then obviously we will have an impact in terms of the gender, in terms of the services, and also in terms of sustainability. And then, you know, I would like to, you know, bring it to a paper and, you know, bring it, present it to the private sector and also to the government. And then, you know, from take it there, from take it there to the next level, so where it can be rolled out, maybe at a regional level or because, you know, in smartphones, it's going to be different. For example, now we're thinking of going somewhere in Chitral. We want to put e-agriculture over there because that's that's important over there. Uh, we're also thinking of going to interior since where, again, agriculture is going to be important. So so it's going, also going to be depending on the regional demographics of that area, which is going to uh, help them in terms of which is more beneficial than, or it's going to be catered or tailor-made according to this. So we'll have four or five different, and you will see how it works out. And from there, we're going to take it to, inshallah, put it in the paper and make it in the policy. And we'll not leave it just to the government. We want the public sector to come and play the role with the community over there. Yeah, and I think that's fascinating. And, and I would underscore your point on um, accessibility of smartphones, right? Particularly in rural parts of the country where agriculture, again, just as a high-level case study, right? If you have access to cheap smartphones, then all of a sudden things like shifting weather patterns the ongoing price of your produce, uh, what do you need to do in planting season, what kind of fertilizer do you use, all sorts of education and information asymmetries go away, um, which then has an impact on things like yields in terms of farmer incomes, in terms of access to credit. Yeah. And all of those things are, again, given where we are at this point in time with food inflation and food insecurity, those are real solutions, right? In terms of getting the yields up, getting farmers more money in their pockets so then they can invest more in the land that they that they grow stuff on. Um, and again, I, I agree with you. Uh, none of that is possible without telecoms infrastructure and access to cheap smartphones. Um, one of the last questions I had for you was... Sorry, that's why I call telecom as mother of all sectors. Yeah, and, and nothing works without that, right? It's like yeah. roads and telecoms. If, if you connect... Yeah. People with those two things, good things happen without any yes. intervention from the government, right? Human beings will find their way. Um, and that's yeah. what we need to invest in. Um, one of the last questions I had for you was, you know, you said 
um, that that USF has really scaled up its its impact, its projects, its, its the amount of funding is deploying. Where do you see things in Pakistan's telecommunications sector going in the next three to five years, right? And I ask this question because one of the most common questions or feedback that I get through this podcast is like, look, we want to be on platforms like Upwork and Fiverr and be freelancers because it's a good way to earn a solid income in, in foreign currency, earn export revenue, but then also kind of be your own boss. And some of these folks have then, you know, started as their own boss hired three, four, five more people. Now it's 25 and now they're graphic editors and designers and content creators and all. It's a whole economy. So I'm, I'm curious to help them understand where this sector goes, driven by the telecoms infrastructure so that they can also think a bit more deeply about the kinds of technology enabled businesses that they should be looking at and investing in. Where do you see this ecosystem going? Uh, you know, I'm very uh, positive and optimistic that telecom sector is going to grow phenomenally, even from here, which has grown phenomenally in the last five years. Because you know, if we talk about number, we have approximately 230 million population. And you know, right now we have uh, you know, smartphone, uh, mobile smartphone subscriber, or we call 3G, 4G subscriber, roughly 150 million. So you've got still uh, 115, sorry. So you've got still big number to you know, catch up in terms of it. And you know, the way the technology is evolving, you know, we're gonna we're gonna convert from 4G to 5G. We're gonna evolve into 5 and 5.5, and then 60 in the next three to five years. If not 60, then it's definitely 5G. So the ecosystem is gonna support it. When you talk about these startups and you know the freelancers and everything, uh, you know Pakistan stands in amazing uh, in terms of uh, uh, numbers. Like we are the fourth largest population in terms of the youth. Uh, so which is you know from 18 to 35 to 65 percent and if you took a look at the global uh, average age right now of europe or japan or china or north america it's over 45. so we are at 21 so only the only competition we have is from india which is 27. so what all we have to be prepared is to the future skill set how we built it to our youth and what is going to be the requirement of the of the world so if you work towards it so I think we, we the fiber and the, you know freelancing we just don't leave them behind. We're going to be looking at much more, uh, you know, viable and much more something which is going to be forthcoming and much more, uh, I would say, more in demand uh, rather than this fiber and everything. Because anyways, at the end of the the world needs uh, expertise and you know skill set and you know that's going to come from this future. So I think we just have to uh, uh, give direction to the youth and be ready for that time and we have the right skill set to actually cater to the world uh, demand. Yeah, and I think it's a huge opportunity. And I think yeah. uh, as you were talking about connecting uh, villages and then that allowing women to do be more entrepreneurial, um, I think that holds true, particularly in the technology sectors, because, you know, the cultural taboo of going out of your home to do work goes away. Once you have access to decent internet, we're talking on Zoom basically at no cost yeah. because of modern technology. Um, and that's a really powerful tool, right? Our conversation would not have been possible without that. And that's an opportunity for millions of people that are yet to be connected to fiber in Pakistan. So I'm really excited uh, about the mission that you have and the work that you and your team are doing. It's wonderful. Um, and I wish you Thank all you. the best. Uh, but before Thank I let you, so you go, the one last question I ask my guests is what are two or three things that you would recommend uh, folks to pick up and read? Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, 
I wouldn't recommend any uh, one book or two books or three books. I would recommend just do reading. I mean, like reading is important. That gives you a different kind of perspective. And you know that, uh, especially in these kind of environment where we are so much, you know, glued to our smartphones and, you know, uh, iPads and the laptops, we are missing out that, uh, you know, the hand-felt reading of book. And for that, to be honest, you just, uh, uh, it's also very, you know, very close to my heart that what we have done at USF is that we have started a knowledge hub. So what we did is we made a small library in the office. And it's it's not funded by anything. Everyone, whoever has got a few books, we've just put it in there. And we've asked everyone to, you know, whoever wants it, just come, take it, read it, and bring that, you know, habit into your lives again. So 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 I think we, you know, I would suggest to any book or something, any book, you know, makes sense. Any book which interests you, which can have some, you know, give you a different perspective or add value to your life, I think one should go with that. Well, thank you again for your time and and for the wonderful work you're doing. I'm I'm excited by everything that you, we've talked about that's going on. And again, as I think both of us agree, um, technology access, uh, cheap technology access is transformative. I think it's worth the investment. It's worth the effort. It's worth getting fiber to the last yes. mile of people. Um, and and that's the way to transform this country. So thank you for all your work and the work that your team is doing. And thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me over. Thank you.